Welcome back for another episode of Why I'm Anti-War. Today I have a conversation I had with Redlegger. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at R-E-D-L-E-G-E-R. Uh, we had a pretty wide-ranging talk. Uh, he and I go back a little ways, and please enjoy. Uh, I have another episode coming up next week, so stay tuned. I'm going, I'm doing good, sir. Yourself? Oh, doing great. Doing great. Um, you can just call me Scott, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, you and I got on in touch. Uh, we've been probably mutuals on Twitter for a long time, and probably the one that we see most eye to eye with are pretty close. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think I'm pretty sure I've heard you on Walt's show, right? The um, Yes. Yeah, that was a great one. Um, thank you thank you i liked yours as well yeah it's uh what's this it's called um this uh how i embrace the suck for anyone who's unfamiliar right. if you want to find either of us on there that's a you know kind of it's not like uh he stole my thunder exactly but i think <laughs> you know when uh because you know i think that that, that der- cut, targeted mine you know we're going to start out my show talking about someone else's show but <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I just uh, kudos to him if he's listening. I, I love it, and he's kept it up, and he finds so many interesting people. Um, like, you know, the spirit of his show is just kind of let people tell their stories and and let them. And some are like, yeah, I would I would join. You know, he's kind of agnostic on it's right. just people telling their stories, but you know, it, it could be social circles and who we run with and whatnot that you know more of the people kind of end up saying. You know, if I was going to join, if I could go back and do it again, would you? No, and most of them saying, you know, no. But right. uh, the, you know, I haven't had any won any kids over with this, but but um, I coach a lacrosse team, and kids ask me about things, and one of the first things I do, rather than rather than telling that like telling them no or whatever, I usually I try to get them, and I don't know if any, I haven't had one come back and tell me they've listened. Sorry, Walt, um, <laughs> but I have told a few of them why don't you check this out and just hear it from people's voices and hear the mistakes they made along the way and what they would have done differently you know that that is a way and and i encourage that um i've i've tried to point quite a few people there myself everybody has kind of an idea of what the army or the military in general is like and i'm like well why don't you go listen to people who've done it instead of the recruiters yeah yeah um and so I don't, like I said, I don't know if, I, if, I, if, I, if I've had any, if I have any successes, I'll be sure to let everyone know. But uh, thus far, it's just, I think it, it's still really valuable to have that, you know. And then I guess we could talk about my show for a minute. Everyone knows this is uh, by now. Hopefully, you know what you're listening to. It's why I'm anti-war. The goal here is to talk about um, reasons, things people experienced, saw, or heard that. Uh, that made them think differently about war and question whether it was really worth it. And today we have Redlay on, who, again, we've been neutrals for a while. And why don't you introduce yourself some more? Uh, I'm Redleg. I'm a retired Army soldier. Uh, I was in the field artillery for 20 years. I have three deployments and, uh, you know, married father of three. That's great. And um, you uh, asked to come on after I kind of 
finally, thank, thanks again. My new episode will come out uh, probably tonight to be on people's feeds in the morning from um, Clay. But, you, you know, I put out a call and thank you, you know, thanks to you for volunteering to come on. What kind of compelled you to come on today? Um, I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to, uh, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I want more people to hear the message. And sometimes it takes people to get out there who have been there to explain why. Because the, the talking heads in the media do a good job of explaining why parents should be sending their sons and daughters to die for something stupid. But not enough of the people who have actually gone out there and done it seem to be getting their voice out there. And um, what would you like people to hear, I suppose? What, what do you think they would hear differently coming from us rather than them or um, yeah, and see, that's, that's a complicated question to answer. Yeah. I, I, for one, believe the profession of arms is a noble profession uh, when, when it's used for noble purposes. The problem is we don't have anybody with the ability to use our military nobly. It, it, at this point, it's almost an impossible task because there's nothing noble we do around the world. It's all for the, the, the interest of the elites. None of it is for anybody good. And they'll, they'll take the occasional good outcome from that and parade it as the reason that they did it. Uh, so what I want people to understand is you're not actually spreading freedom. You're not actually spreading liberty. You're, you're, you're not doing anything that if you, saw, if you saw what was happening downrange, you would have a very different idea of what the military is doing, right? Uh, and, I, and I've got stories and stories about this that you would probably wouldn't, many people wouldn't believe but the biggest takeaway is nothing we are doing is you know securing the blessings of liberty for anyone um well i'm curious you know i i'm curious and i i love all your stories um but is there anything in particular that kind of any steps along the way that kind of made you see it that way yeah it, it was a gradual process for me because i was a true believer you know, it's, it's kind of like getting somebody out of the church, you know, uh, you know, if you're trying to get a Mormon out of the church because they're, you know, all they've ever known their life is plural marriage and sexual abuse and all these things that tend to happen in the fundamentalist side of every church. Explain to them why it's wrong is not something you can do in, in a minute. You can't sit them down in a room and say this is bad. You got to plant seeds and let those seeds develop over time and then eventually people see the problem right that that's mm -hmm. that was how that was how my uh process went uh the very first seed was planted in 2004 um and then again in 2009 when i got to iraq so 2004 in afghanistan 2009 in iraq and then i was back in afghanistan in 2012 uh, and i had a lieutenant who introduced me to iron rand and that was actually probably the biggest change in my perspective because I'd never heard of her. I'd never heard of libertarianism. I just figured, hey, we're all free. What's the big deal? Um, but 2004 was probably the, the first major one. It was actually that same blog I linked to you. Uh, oh, yeah long, yeah, yeah. long story short, in 2004, we're going into a part of Afghanistan that uh, no none of us had been into before. They didn't even know American troops were in the country. You understand that there's no communication lines really throughout most of that country except for by word of mouth as people trade and move around and we pulled up and at first the first city we hit everybody was like hey cool what do you got 
you know, people were coming like, hey, give me some food, you know, and trying to get MREs and stuff. And it was peaceful and fine. Then as we traveled uh, down the road, we set up for about 30 days in the punch bowl of mountains. The infantry kicked out trying to stir up the hornet's nest. They did. We were in a sustained firefight. Uh, shot a lot of artillery rounds. Then we packed up to leave. I don't know why we were leaving. We just took the ground and then we were, we left. Uh, and, and now that I've read books about Vietnam, I realized that was exactly what was happening in Vietnam. We'd take ground and then we would leave and then we have to go take it again and then we would leave. On the way back, we got ambushed. And um, normally on a like a long convoy like that, you, we wouldn't stop and fight. We would just push through. We, we weren't blocked or anything. But my mm-hmm. battalion commander wanted to fight. So we stopped, we engaged him, and then we had a JTAC with us, which is an Air Force... Um, I forgot what it stands for, but it's the guy who controls the bombers Tactical for the Air, Air Force. Controller, yep. That's, yeah. And he was like, hey, we all get to get, got to get out of here right now. We left. Uh, we got in our vehicles and hauled ass. And then I turned around just in time to see the cloud drop on this compound where they were ambushing us from. And by ambush, I use that word loosely. They were just holding their AKs over the wall and just kind of shooting at us. Um, during the mission, I had been talking with, or dur- during the uh, firefight, I had been talking with one particular forward observer the whole time. And so I went, after we got back to base, I went back to the talk to talk to him and, and you know, ask him about how things were there and kind of coordinate for the next time. And I heard a conversation about how there was no intelligence that those people were insurgents that we had dropped the, the JDAM on. Come to find out, they were just uh, people that lived out there and they're like, why is there an army traveling through my area? That's not okay. And then they started attacking us, which if you think about that here in America, we'd probably do the same thing. You roll up with a foreign army through rural America and you're probably gonna get shot at. So. Yeah. I was just imagining that scenario. Like, if we really, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's just so funny when you do, because that's the important part. I think one of the things I was always thinking, sorry to cut you off, I just, you made me laugh. No, please. Picturing it, but, you know, it's not quite Red Dawn, but, you know, in the absence of, if if you could black out the media and then see some people, you know, of a different nationality, you know, mm-hmm. rolling through your streets, like, not just like, oh, they've got their gear, gear stowed for transport or whatever, but literally rolling through, you know, guns out. How would somebody in, I don't know, West Virginia, in Appalachistan respond? You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, it's an interesting question, because I think you're right that we're, I, I wonder if it really, you know... You definitely would hope that people would respond and take some initiative on their own, you know? Oh, yeah, I, I, I have no doubt that they would. Yeah. And, and that's kind of like my point. You know, it, it kind of goes to this Ukraine thing, right? Every, a lot of people say Russia's only reacting because, you know, we're inching closer and closer to their doorstep through NATO. Mm-hmm. And then, they'll, you know, some neocon will say, you know, would we let Russia put nuclear weapons or not some neocons excuse me the libertarians will say would, would you let russia put nuclear weapons in mexico like would we not would america not see that as an act of aggression they'll ask that question when it's appropriate but then when you say what would happen if a convoy of vehicles was driving through rural you know 
state in America, you know, anywhere rural in America, hmm. w- would they fire on them? And of course, the answer is yes. But then when you say, okay, well, soldiers were driving through rural parts of Afghanistan and they were getting shot at, and the answer is, oh, yeah, but those were insurgents. Those were bad guys. How do you know they were bad guys? They were just people living free in the area that they were born into. And we came and interrupted their life. They didn't attack America. They're not our enemies. They have, they didn't actually hate any, any American until America showed up and started killing them. Mm-hmm. That is what people need to understand is that we created more problems than we solved. Well, and in particular, the other thing that I don't know for you, but it was probably around the same time, 2000, I, for me, it was October, 2004 was like, or was it? You know, what's the month before October, September, October 2004 was the first time I saw artillery, you know, from pretty damn close up uh, right in front of us, you know, and the first time I saw um, aerial bombs hitting a building, you know, right right around that same time. And it's not in your the other thing is it's not just um, it's not just that you were rolling through their neighborhood. It's that in the next valley over they they've already they might have already heard or at least overheard you know like it's another it's a it's a different thing and i wonder you know i'm curious for you as an artilleryman and i remember Mm -hmm. kind of and 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 not to take anything away from you because you know it's also it wasn't like the movies for me i wasn't impressed until i saw an aerial bomb i'd see i saw some artillery fall an artillery fall like you know it's mostly just a dust cloud and it's a dust cloud you don't want to be anywhere near but it doesn't look like the movies right you know what right. I mean? It's not this awe-inspiring fireball. It's kind of almost underwhelming until you see the crump and like, or you see it hit something that it really shreds. Right. Yeah. Without a target, it just looks like a big dust ball. I've I've seen plenty of impact area. Yeah. And it's like, you know. Oh, that was an impressive ball of dirt. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um So not to take anything away from what it could actually do to human beings, but I wonder, you know, and also when you were on the gun line or whatever you might have been doing in two thousand in the at the beginning of that little you know you, you said you went into this punch bowl and you you know, got some call, calls for fire you know you weren't seeing the receiving end no know? not not but, in that case yeah no. but here you were a little bit later on you see the aerial bomb which is definitely more awe-inspiring you know what i mean it, it, i mean it, quite... it looks it looks cooler from a cinematic point of view for sure <laughs> I, i've got video of it uh, yeah. somebody captured video of it and i've got oh, it somewhere and but, it, it is pretty impressive. Yeah, but when it dawns on you, like, oh, that, like that's what's on the other end of this, you know? And then right. you learn, you know, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I could totally get it where you learn, like, what well, that's 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 the level we're going to. Where they, they were shooting at us, so somebody was shooting at us, so we started raining hell on them. And then to think that, yeah, they might they weren't just responding to you driving by. They were responding to you driving by after doing that the next valley over and them hearing right. just shell after shell impacting and and then probably getting mad about it i don't know what's going yes. on over there but we're not going to let it happen here right you know? well the the stated intent of that mission was just to stir the hornet's nest it wasn't even to take ground it wasn't there was no true tactical objective it was let's go stir up trouble yeah right well we did and mm-hmm. come to find out it was unnecessary because we were in a part of Afghanistan no one had really been in before. Even if they were keep like bad people hiding out, they were hiding out because they knew we would kill them. Mm-hmm. Right. They 
they they were not organized. They're not they, at that time. They were not a well organized army. Of course, that grew uh, as power centralized, and more and more people joined groups and started training. You know, and they started to look more like a real force. But it back then in 2004, there was you weren't fighting a real force at all. It was just people, you know, squads of people loosely working together to do something, and they they didn't stand a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And so, was it was it on that deployment that a lieutenant gave you a copy of Ayn Rand, or was that a no, later deployment? It was it was later on. Yeah. So, so at that time, I'm imagining. How are you feeling at this point? Are you question? Were you questioning things then, or were you kind of like, "Huh, no, that's weird," or no. did, did it kind of just file away? And yeah. Probably, I imagine you probably talked about it with your buddies. That oh, I remember that time. I was, look yes. at this video. I, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it it got filed away in storage, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until I started. I I kind of came to a reckoning with myself. I had a lot of problems. A lot of veterans do when I came back, and I didn't understand why. I mean, it's not like I was in the battle for Fallujah. Uh, you know, I'd seen some stuff. I I obviously have a, a pretty massive body count, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I was like, eh, I don't understand why I feel bad about this because I didn't feel bad about what I had done. It took me realizing I felt bad because I knew what I was doing was wrong deep down and I never wanted to admit it to myself. Once I admitted that to myself, I was able actually to start getting better, you know? Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, but... that makes all the sense in the world. I mean, you have to face up. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the story of so many up. people. Because that's the it's, that's moral injury, you know? You're... And it's not even... Yes. It's, it's almost... You know what it is? It's... Well, to, I, I'm going to try to make an analogy, but, you know, with dealing with kids and playing sports and whatnot, there's always the, are you hurt or are you injured? Right. And you're, like, sometimes kids don't know when they're really injured they think they're hurt and other times they think they're hurt when they're injured you know but you're hurting and you don't really know deep down that you're injured until you kind of look look at it's it's like when you uh maybe this is gonna be a stupid analogy or whatnot but you know you have you've got a a cut or a break or some kind of wound but it's it's underneath this it's underneath the piece of clothing and you really don't know how bad it is until you actually like start peeling back the, the you know rip open the clothing and see mm-hmm. and sometimes you're like damn that was just a bruise i'll be okay you know what i mean and other times you're right. looking like oh god we gotta go to the hospital you know yeah. Um, yeah that's very very similar to how it was for me and it i didn't know why it was affecting my marriage it was affecting my relationship with my kids and until i faced that and it, there was no va doctor that helped me come to that conclusion either believe it or not it was reading books uh and then finally i was like oh yeah, I've always known this. I just didn't want to admit it to myself. Once I was able to face that, then I could start having what resembled a normal life. Uh, You know, once I worked through it. I got to ask what what books, can you recall? um, Which ones kind (laughs) of started opening up? Well, honestly, it was Ayn Rand's got me interested in philosophy itself, right? Mm -hmm. And then once that happened, I started studying loosely philosophy um and then of course mostly libertarian philosophy that's where i lean you know i learned about the non-aggression principle and i I learned about all these things and i realized that in this scenario if you trace it all the way back to the 90s america was the aggressor Mm -hmm. and i realized i was participating in that and like i said earlier i wasn't securing the blessings of freedom for anyone 
I was making a bunch of people rich on the backs of myself and my friends, many who came back mangled, some who didn't come back. And that's what I had to face. But you, it's hard to see that unless you try to understand the world around you. And I had no desire to understand the world around me. I mean, I joined the army right out of high school in 97. Uh, actually, I was a high school dropout. I took a GED. Um, I joined because I had no prospects. And I was just, from then on, all I did was worry about studying my job. I didn't worry about the philosophy, the ethics, the morals. I was like, yeah, that's what the officers are for. They've got that. They're the good guys. I'll just do what they say and everything will be fine. Uh, it wasn't until, late, you know, and then later on, I realized that that was stupid. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I get I get it because you, you kind of do. I mean, that was, for me, I... I don't know about you, but for me, I felt there was something wrong. And I felt like, for me, I had, I had, I grew up, I read every book about the Marine Corps there was. I've forgotten more stuff about the Marine Corps than I than most people ever knew. Um, I was this believer that it was this warrior cult, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, warrior cast of people who, like, totally egalitarian or um, right. merit meritocracy you know right. where and all all the and some of the things i still value like some of them are still things i at my core i've always believed you know what i mean mm -hmm. there were values that they espoused that i deeply believed in and what i felt like was happening is they just weren't living up to them that's why i Correct. needed for a while i needed to become an officer you know what i mm -hmm. mean and i just felt like somewhere in the chain there's there's something somewhere up the chain that's broken or they people are just not there for it to do it right and to bring it and, and everything would be fine if we would just if I just buy harder into the system, you know. And I don't know if you were thinking about it in those terms, but like for me, I, I did later on. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my goal was always to grow up and be you know sergeant major of the army, you know, and then I I fix everything, and then later yeah. on you realize that there is no fixing it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, and that that point you said about it being a meritocracy is I always believed that too, and until I started paying attention, and I realized, oh, it's it's really not, you know. And and there's many reasons for that. Some of them are, are uh, you, some of them are easy to describe, and some of them are kind of uh, they they're hot button topics. Yeah. Um, but in the end, you realize it's it it's it's not a symptom. Or it is a symptom, actually. It's a symptom of a broken system. And yeah. the system itself is broken, probably beyond repair. Yeah, I would agree. Like, um, I, I mean, I, I would take it offline, but I mean, have you, um, another random podcast mentioned, have you um, come across that? Ah, oh, shoot. This is terrible. This is terrible audio, terrible um, podcasting, but it's, Dang it. Bill Buppert is the guy who does it. Um, it's called uh, Irregular Warfare or something like that. Give me a second. No. Uh, but he talks about fragile and anti-fragile systems, and he kind of thinks of militias as being like... Um, I'm not gonna I'm not going to go any further right now. I'll, maybe I'll plug in the actual thing so I'm not just killing air here. But um, basically, he, he talks about how... What a what a better he, he kind of is at least talking around what a better system would look like. How can you, how can you have this? Because I I don't disagree. I, I I don't disagree. You know I take a harder stance sometimes 
but I don't disagree that they're like the profession of arms and protecting your home and you know your you know the people you care about or even protecting people you don't even know but in an right. organized fashion I don't disagree with any of that you know what I that's mean that's exactly what I mean by I'm that. not yeah. a total pacifist you know I um myself I I respect people who are but um or at least I'm interested in really hearing them make the case mm-hmm. uh, but yeah I think there there is absolutely a need for sometimes organize an organized way to defend your community let's say and what what would an appropriate organization for that look like that actually could achieve its goals and uphold values and ennoble people you know what i mean right take people who otherwise would be concerned about less and make you know what i think about um sorry tangent too but you know community in, in in maryland where i am there's this big discussion about the complete breakdown or near breakdown of volunteer fire departments mm-hmm. that they're having to switch everything to professional because and there you'll hear these kind of not even old timers but middle aged kind of you know people that are moving out of it being like it used to just be part of the community it's where you had uh, barbecue like you know community events or whatever was at the fire hall they hosted bull roasts and thing like things like that and and they were a center of the community and part of the deal was if you grew up living here you would join you know if you were a young man especially you you it's kind of expected you know right. that you would join the it's one of the things you just you just do you know and mm-hmm. and that is noble it's a shame it's dying there but the, in the same respect i would you know it should be almost the fire militia the volunteer fire militia should be what you just do in every community in my mind's eye you know that, that's exactly how i feel about that um and, and that's what I mean by the, the profession of arms is a noble endeavor in and of itself. Yeah, uh, it should it should be a voluntary. I use this term loosely collective of individuals who are te- who share a purpose and they come together to for that purpose. But they don't stay together. Right. They don't live mm. together in a barracks. You know, mm. militia is the closest uh, uh, probably analog to that. And I think that's noble. You know, you'll see videos now and it's getting more popular online of people showing other people how to train and and become, you know, part of the warrior class without the need to join a professional organization. Mm-hmm. That's noble because those are skills you can use when necessary if you use them for the endeavor of protecting people, you know, protecting communities. Communities need protecting believe it or not. And that's why volunteer fire departments are so important. And we've got a strong one here in Oklahoma. I hope it never goes away. You know, we have brush fires here all the time and they, they show up and, and they handle business and it's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know what? And, and you know, the thing is, I think here, at least in Maryland, the problem is that they, they don't even see it this way. Of course they don't because it's Maryland, but I see it as the professionalization is what destroyed it. Correct. That's how you I know. Feel. Like, Oh, what, you, what do you expect when you start in one in one town, you know, in one count in the next county over, you can make a salary and this could be the only thing you do, you know, and you start bringing in the bureaucracy. But if I do it here, yes. I just show up. I'm not getting paid. I'm just getting like the respect of my community, which is valuable. But, you know, some people they want and, and you almost can't blame somebody who's like, yeah, I really value fighting fires and helping people. And here I can get paid for it. But just mm-hmm. in the process of accept making that bargain, you know, right. you're destroying the entire ethos 
of the community you lived in. If you move the town over and you're getting paid to be a firefighter and you won't do it for free anymore, then nobody will do it for free anymore. And right. it's just another job. And, you know, and there's, there's so many different aspects of that. How are you getting paid? Where's that money coming from? Okay. Yeah. Then we can trace that back, you know, um, uh, one thing I, I've seen and I still see because I still work for the Department of the Army is a lot of people writing papers discussing, you know, the, the ethics, the morals and, and twisting themselves backwards to um, explain why everything they do is good. You know, they, they talk about the future of the field artillery and how it's going to re- remain relevant. And it's mostly not relevant anymore for some of the reasons you talked about earlier. It's once you see a, a jet drop a, a JDAM, it's like, oh, well, we don't need you anymore. You know, so so many times there were call for fires out that got canceled because like, oh no, there's a bomber in the in the air, we're fine, and they just drop a bomb. You know? Yeah. Um, but keep the bureaucracy in an attempt to maintain the relevancy of a branch continues to grow while the people underneath them who are down on the ground you know your your 13 bravos your 13 juliets all, all the people down there that are training every day to do the job they are more unnecessary every day and they pull people from there to go write papers to try to prove that they are necessary and relevant but they're not right so now now you've got all these creations within uh the, the branch, the field artillery branch itself of these cells whose only job is to sell the field artillery and the people down training to be artillerymen continue to shrink. Mm-hmm. So that, that you're growing, it's kind of like the college thing, right? There used to be more professions, yeah, professors than administrators. Inverting the tree almost. It, yes. And that is happening through every branch of the military right now. Uh, you know, and then of course they're bringing in civilians and paying them lots of money to sell the relevancy. It's like, well, if you have to do that, are you really relevant? Like it, you're fighting, yeah. it, you know, you're you're using a cup and there's a big hole in the boat and you're trying to throw the water out of the bo- uh, the boat, but it's not working. You know, but you know everybody's getting rich while trying to figure out how to do it, except I mean, for the people, you know, on the bottom. I'd love to pick your brain. Uh more about this i mean i well uh, what's your time uh situation when i i'm i'm on no time limit okay i i I know Uh, you got something going on no not not until like uh not for another hour i don't have to go anywhere so um well you know this is not going to be anti-war podcast content necessarily i might you know well, I can I, I can make it all anti-war. Because yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it's all a, a racket, right? What you understand, if you support war, what you support is a bunch of people sitting around in a, in a circle, patting themselves on the back, talking about how uh, they can increase lethality, and then you link that to who are they trying to use that lethality on? Yeah, um, no one. Yeah, I'm curious. What do you make of like? Because I was kind of having the opposite thought, sort of, about relevancy. Just, just you know, casually observing the the fight in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. You know, as I under, what I sort of understood even prior to this was that the Russians really didn't place much value on close air support because it's a really expensive way to deliver explosives. It you is. Know? Um, it is. It's an incredibly expensive, logistically intensive way. And if you lose your platform, you're throwing away millions of dollars. You know what I mean? Um, and they're hard to replace, but a gun tube is pretty easy to replace. And you can put, right. even if it's not as impressive 
in the individual the volume of fire and and i don't know you see you see that most of these places now the ukrainians and the russians mostly followed the same model of just preferring artillery for mm -hmm. support rather than aircraft because artillery um and so you at least what i have heard is it's a lot of artillery dueling and just and constant shelling um which seems to indicate to, and I, I did have that when I heard the Russians, I was like, that doesn't make a lot of sense because our cast platforms are are good if in uncontested airspace. Right, but exactly. That's airspace, the key. I don't know how good a, our our close air support really could be, um, it, and it would be in, and it is incredibly expensive. And you know, it might make a lot more sense to have a bunch of tubes pointed in the same direction. And you know, what what's worse is. We don't use the tubes to attack the targets. We use the tubes to attack the ADA so that the air can get in and attack the targets. Yeah. That that is when it comes to the what's called the combined arms fight. Mm -hmm. That is our our main purpose is to make sure that the fast movers can move freely instead of just using us to attack the targets themselves. Yeah. Um and of course with the introduction of the multiple launch rocket system and high Mars, you know, ranges on those things are pretty freaking incredible. Yeah, you know, so instead of focusing on them, we still focus on how to enable free movement within the air and dominate the airspace. Really, you know, which oh. you know it makes sense. But if we were fighting a near peer, which I don't know if we even have a near peer at this point, but if we were fighting a near peer, you know, they would be fighting in the air versus air. And we would be fighting in the ground versus ground, but that's not how we fight right now. Mm -hmm. We fight, we fight air to air to surface mm -hmm. instead of in, instead of air to air and surface to surface. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm wondering about. Is like, would the artillery like it does? It seems to have proven relevant in like you don't hear that much about airstrikes mm -hmm. in in Ukraine. You hear a lot about, and th you know that is because they both didn't focus on airstrikes. But I wonder. If that's because in reality it wouldn't work, you know, is this F-16 going to be a game changer? Or is it going to be expensive boondoggle? <laughs> well, know? that's I think that's one of the reasons we've spent so much money on their air defense. It has basically stopped them from being able to maintain air dominance. Mm -hmm. uh, but then again, that's not the real fight anymore either. It's all drones now. Yeah, you know, don't get me started on on drones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's. Uh, I, I was just curious. I uh, let, let's. Let's bring it back if I if we can. I mean, mm -hmm. so you 2004, you come across this lieutenant. Um, he gives you mm -hmm. Ayn Rand, and you start going down the rabbit hole of just uh, uh, any other particular books or authors you picked up after that that kind of got well. Darian philosophy. Ayn Rand was was the starter, right? Mm -hmm. That was that was in 2012. So mm -hmm. the the seeds were planted before. Of course, there was 2004 in Afghanistan. 2012 in Iraq, we were put on a PRT mission, Provincial Reconstruction Team mm -hmm. Security. They would go around assessing damage to pay the people for all the buildings we blew up. It, it was a, yeah. a big Ponzi scheme. Yeah, I, and, I, that, that would have been right there bumping into you. <laughs> that was me, the civil affairs guy. Yeah, yeah. so that's what we do, just escort uh, civil affairs around. Um, and then we had this micro grant and micro loan program. There were no loans. It was all grants. Mm -hmm. And we're, our, our goal was to help now that we've secured Bakuba and it's safe, we're going to give them all this money and all this economic activity is going to make them free, right? No one's thinking about the fact that they don't care about living that way. 
Uh, they have their own systems. We should have just left them the hell alone and let, let them figure it out on their own. But um, we started giving money away to anyone who turned in an application. And so one of my buddies who was in charge of the applications was working with the interpreter because, you know, it's all written in Arabic. And Al-Qaeda literally put in an application for a micro grant. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And of course, you had to get rejected. And if you rejected, it, it goes to the commander. And the commander's like, no, 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 it's good. Are you kidding? It's good. Yeah, give them the money. Every we're applying, we're we're approving 100% of everything. Wow. And and he he came and told me about it, and I was like, bro, are you serious? He's like, no, I'm 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 serious, 100%. That was the first like the t that's when the seed sprouted, initially. I was like, yeah, Wait a I minute. can imagine. <laughs> what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. Right. This it, and I talked to the interpreter. I was like, Jimmy, is is this real? And he's like, yeah, no, that that's what it says. I was like, holy shit. You know, they didn't care. They just had to give the money away. You know, and the State Department is there meeting with our battalion commander all the time because that was our job as uh, provincial reconstruction. And and it, it just dawned on me like, holy shit, this is just it, it, it's ridiculous, you know, and we lost three people to IEDs traveling around doing this shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was so, yeah, uh, it, I, uh, that, I think I'm, that I was. Think... Go ahead, I sir. think I'm outside of the statute of limitations here, but uh, there was definitely a certain amount of my money that went specifically to avoiding that. Like the money I had, like, let's just say it, I worked like the uh, Intel guy. If, if it would if it would get an IED out of the ground or tell us where some were, some of the money mm -hmm. I went just went towards that. You know, right. what I mean? avoiding the same thing. You know what I mean? Well, uh, no, that's I think that's exactly what it was. We're going to yeah. give you money. Don't cause problems. Yeah, that's what it was. Either that, it, was, or it, it was, wasn't about anything else. Either that, or it was the first Afghan troll, <laughs> some thirteen-year-old <laughs> kid, <laughs> right? Thirteen-year-old kid says, "Hey, I got a great idea. Let's get some money." It, it, and I wouldn't, I would not doubt that at all because they're <laughs> they're not unintelligent people over there. Yeah, you know, a lot of people will look at the way they live, you know, especially in Afghanistan, and they're like, "Oh, those are a bunch of backwards people." No, no, they're not. I actually, I mean, they kind of are in some ways, but. There's a lot of them that are just, they want the same things we want. They want to be left alone to live freely and securely and raise their children the way they want to raise their children. Right? I mean, that was the, the same thing. thing you're going to hear from any Republican in America. Yeah. I mean, that's that was the thing to me, especially in Afghanistan. Like my first my, and my second trip there, you know, it was, was reckoning, like, in, like these people might be the, they weren't the freest people on the planet, but there was a sense in which they could do whatever. It, First of all, they could homestead anywhere. If they could right. make a living, if the people if the people there could make a living on that hard scrabble, you know, terrible environment, you know, they could make a living anywhere. You know, they, they could homestead anywhere. I guess homestead. They're very resilient. Yeah, they're very yeah. resilient people. Um they, 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 you know, obviously they would need a little bit of agricultural knowledge because, you know, a lot of it is just copying what mm -hmm. their their pop father showed them, you know, but, um, but yeah, it's like the the fact that they could homestead anywhere and they wouldn't take any trap, you know what I mean? They would shoot back right. or 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 blow you up, you know. They can mix up their own HME. Yes, exactly. And, and make you pay for so many make, chemists in that country. You traipse through their crop. Too, one too many times and you're you know i don't yeah i'm not letting anybody i don't you know what i mean i'm not letting anybody walk through my farm one more time 
You know, right. you stop. They learned how to grow heroin in the field. desert. Yeah, you know. Um, There's farmers here that could learn some lessons, right? Um, in, in any case, that's all to say, I guess. Like, yeah, recognizing that these people, just in general, that they knew they wanted to be left alone, and they knew how to, to, I, w- I want, I don't want to say uphold their right, but to try to stand up for their right to be left alone. They, they have no that, compunction about fighting back when they feel oppressed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, here, you know, your average American, like, well, let's go to the court system. Let the cop arrest you and beat you and then handle it later in court. Not yeah. them. No, fuck you. We're fighting. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's just me, you know, that, that's what I recognize, what I recognize in them. And I don't know if it's similar to what you recognize, but when you saw exactly, that yes. in the Afghans, it's like, well, this is, isn't this the ideal? You know, almost like, isn't this our ideal American? You know, our the patriots weren't they these these people who came to this hard place to live, mm-hmm. homesteaded, and when somebody tried to give you know tried to step in on them too much, they they fought back. You know, and That's they didn't exactly apologize right. for it. That and exactly looking right. at them as like I, I'm not they they weren't the American patriots. They didn't they didn't uphold the ideals, all of the ideals we uphold. But just seeing that sort of reflection in them of us made me think like we were, you know, and I guess to you, it made you see that they like, maybe they should be left alone. Maybe they, maybe they've earned the right to be left alone. That's exactly how I feel about it. Yes. Um, That blog I was talking about, my last line is that I didn't kill insurgents. I killed free people. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what bothered me for so long. And, And it wasn't until I put my finger on that and was able to say that out loud was when I could first start feeling, you know, normal again. Uh, because I knew I had done it. I knew that's what was going on. I knew that the the casualties we were producing weren't necessarily the bad guys who had anything to do with attacking us uh, in 2001. It was just people who did not want their territory encroached on. Yeah. That, that, that's why... Uh, I turned so anti-war because you can't have a war without killing a bunch of people that don't need to be killed. You know, we, we talk a lot about what's called CDE in the artillery collateral damage estimation, you know, and, and if you're going to be fighting the urban fight, I don't know how you avoid collateral damage, but believe it or not, uh, you know, the, the army does jump through a lot of hoops to make sure we don't create collateral damage unless you're a drone pilot. <laughs> that, yeah. that is, so, you know, with, within the field artillery and, and um, even in many cases, uh, uh, the, the close air support community, they jump through hoops to make sure that they don't have collateral damage. Somebody's got to have eyes on. Somebody's got to be there. Somebody's got to say, yes, this is a legitimate target. Yes, you have release. You can release. Uh, or yes, you can fire on this target. You know, and, you know, cl- uh, I don't want to get too technical. When you're shooting artillery, you don't stack rounds on top of each other on the ground. You, you have a certain uh, circular error. Of, yeah, there's a circular error of probability because mm-hmm. as the bullet travels through the air, see, now I'm getting stupid. As the bullet travels through the air, there's Go variation, ahead. right? Yep. So even if I'm shooting at a building, I'm probably going to land all around the building as well, right? So buildings next to the building are probably going to get hit, but mm-hmm. that's it. So you're, you're, you're confining everything to this circle. With drones, right? They're, they're not shooting at static targets. Their target identification uh, protocols are shit. And they'll just be like, I think that's a bad guy in that van. 
Mm-hmm. And then they'll just blow it up and be like, oh man, we just blew up an aid worker and 10 children. Oh well, success, you hit the target. Yeah, well, and, and, and yeah, you hit the target. You did it, you, you checked all the right boxes that we've created. And the thing is, and I wonder if you saw this change over time. I suspect you did from 2004 to 2000 or even now. I mean, the, the, those hoops that were jumped through evolved, at least mm-hmm. for me, not the same thing. But when we, you know, when we showed up in 2004, um, the, the, you know, we were driving around a lot and the concern was how, especially in Iraq, there's a lot, lot more cars, but this carried over mm-hmm. to Afghanistan. You know, what if a car is approaching and you're afraid it's a V-Bed, what do you do? You know what I mean? And right. the initial was like, well, we just point our guns at them and waving them to stop. And then if they don't stop, we shoot them. You know, after enough right. just uh, knuckleheads who weren't paying attention while they were driving got killed, it mm-hmm. evolved to, you know, shooting a, a 40 mil uh, training practice grenade. Um, at them and then uh, you know there's only some first of all those aren't the most accurate and second of all they uh it's still a one pound slug you're putting through somebody's hood right if you if you hit them dead on and you're shooting at a moving target by the way so and uh and so that was killing a few people so then they moved to shooting flares well i I mean one of the funniest things was one of my buddy funny yeah sad for this guy but yeah um he shot uh he accidentally shot um a uh, parachute flare instead of a um, instead of a star cluster. It was a red star. Mm. It was like a green star parachute instead of a green star cluster. And star parachutes, you know, it's it's a little container, and then when it gets to a right. certain altitude, the parachute pops out. Right. Well, he, you know, when you fire that directly at a car, it just goes straight through the windshield, sets the dude's car on fire. You know, and it took like a few years and is this iterative process of how do we, you know, indicate somebody we're about to shoot them and get them to stop before we actually shoot them you know um and i'm sure with the artillery it was the same at first it was probably pretty well somebody called for fire they said it's good let's go and then i imagine you could tell me more it got to this almost agonizing checklist and to the point where you know you were getting i know because i saw it deny the artillery guys that you would meet would always get denied and -hmm. replaced with a high mars or something that was more precise you know what i mean Unless yeah, they had I, the um, the Excal bullets or whatever, yes, um, they would be, be <laughs> Excalibur is such not a so great, good. Right? Is there, I mean, it, it's me good, more. but no one will use it. Yeah, I mean, they will now, right? Uh-huh. Like, they will now. When we first got them, I was in Afghanistan in 2012. We had the XM, which was the experimental version. Mm-hmm. We shot zero. Yeah, we shot zero of them because. <laughs> The process to shoot them, because it is a precision guided round, is pretty excruciating. Uh-huh. And they're like, I've, I've got a bomber in the air. Yeah. And that's it. And that's why I talk about this whole working group for relevancy thing. Like, oh, Excalibur is going to make us relevant again. But we're going to create this long process necessary to use it because it's a precision guided munition. And now we can't use it because it takes too long. It's it's not it, it's not for it's not for ticks right it's not for troops in contact yeah it's um you got to go through a process you got to mensurate the grid you got to make sure the grid is accurate otherwise you'll accurately miss the target <laughs> yep so by the time you go through all that process it's too late so it's really good for fixed infrastructure and 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 the urban fight but it's again it it is it is very narrow in its scope whereas if you have you know a jet in the air and 
somebody is in contact, well, just clear the area and we'll drop a bomb. That's what they do. So again, we're spending millions of dollars of taxpayer money to maintain relevancy of a branch that probably isn't that relevant in the kinds of wars we're fighting right now. Well, and I'm just, so the other thing too, and I'd love to know more about like how those processes got longer over time, like any changes you remember. But I guess my ultimate thought about it and the reason I'm kind of thinking about it is those will also all go away. They'll, they're yeah. probably slowly being forgotten. Everyone's going to forget. Mm-hmm. The problem with our structure is I'm, you know, for it took probably six years to go from just shooting at any car that came towards us. Right. Oh, the, there was another step of the process that was really, it, this is one of the th- just one of the things that bothered me. And it, I don't know if I've mentioned it here before, but we, for a period in 2006, we were, um, it was, you know, it, there was a period of time where Marines don't fire warning shots. That's an army thing. That's what we were told. Right. To and we were always told not to fire warning shots too. <laughs> well, either way, that's just the trash talk that gets incorporated mm-hmm. in. Is we don't do warning shots. But then in 2006, um, it was yeah, you're supposed to skip a tracer in front of them. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember that. Yeah, and and what that, of course, you know, the guy in the car behind him who gets his jaw blown off. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, true story. You know, he. he he didn't need the warning shot. You know, that warning shot isn't a warning shot to him, you know? Um, but I guess the reason I'm thinking about it is you, we go through this iterative process of learning until there's something that assembles like, okay, most of the time, most people just stop, you know what I mean? And we don't have to shoot an innocent, otherwise innocent person. It took about six or seven years till that process like worked consistently and made sense and i guarantee you it's almost all been forgotten now like what it it has and the same will be true for um ensuring that you don't blow up a house full of civilians right with an arty round right um it's already probably largely been forgotten when the next war comes and it and what they'll do is it'll be the same as it'll it, it will almost certainly and this is why I should oppose like jumping into wars almost. And you could tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm willing to bet. I would wager that the next, if there is, God forbid, a next big war, it'll be like in Iraq in 2003. Well, we don't need all the civilian casual good concerns. This is this is a fighting war against the uh, against the yes. Iraqis. You know what I mean? Yes. If they're calling for fire, it's because there's an enemy. What go to town? You know what I mean? And then slowly. People will start to realize, oh shit, we, we every invasion will be like that though. Yeah. Every in fact every... it's impossible to invade and do the same things we were doing once we had occupied. Yeah. Everyone will start like that and then it'll transition and then yes. it will take six more years to learn how to stop killing innocent people. Or Correct. not even stop, yeah. but like get it down to a reason to a level where most people will kind of tolerate it. Because, you know, it was, Marines weren't, you know, people weren't tolerating, people weren't happy when you shot a car full of civilians. Right. Vaughn, you know, when you blow up a house with some people that were shooting back at you. You, you create more enemies. Yeah. That's all we do. Th- yeah. That's that whole blowback thing, uh, to yeah. quote Dr. Ron Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, he believes in blowback because he, he uh, it's common sense if you have the totality of information. The problem yeah. is most Americans don't have the totality of information. They don't the, know that what we were doing all those years yeah and the crazy thing is we'll just repeat it all again yes and we'll just do it again it uh-huh. so the after action review is supposed to be the the important culminating uh, event at the end of every operation 
And we always do it. And we write it on a piece of paper and I take the notes and I put it in a, in a book and I stick it in my pocket and never gets opened again. Yep. And that happens at every level. Yep. Right. It happens at every level. Mm -hmm. uh, even in the job I have now, over the last 10 years, I've watched it transition, you know, go through different transitions and it would work and someone new would come in and be like, here's what I want to do. And then it wouldn't work. And then we'd be like, well, we know what works. Let's go back to that. You know, but now by now, all the people that were in that system that knew how it worked properly are gone. Mm. There's no there's no continuity. There's no notes. So what I would say to anyone listening is you got to understand that relearning those lessons is hard and it sucks. And it almost always comes at the value of human life. Yeah. And so every lesson that made us, quote unquote, better. Uh, towards the end of the global war on terror as it, as it was with Iraq and Afghanistan. Those lessons are all gone. Mm -hmm. And it still didn't stop us at the very end from killing 10, you know, 10 innocent people at the very last action we took. You well, know? and again, I actually classify the drone program as separate from a lot of other systems. Fair, fair. It Because it, it, it is. There's no comparison that when you have people on the ground making decisions that know will affect them the rest of their life, they tend to act a little differently than when you have what what's it called? It's the uh, separation of responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, there's a term for it. Oh, uh, diffusion of responsibility. Di diffusion of responsibility. Yes. Mm -hmm. When you have a diffusion of responsibility, such as it is within that kind of system, then it allows for much more evil to take place uh, yeah. by design, I would argue. Yeah. Um, so, I also argue like the removal somehow from the environment, just being remote from it. Right, exactly. Um, that there's I, no I, FOs, yeah. right? And an FO makes all the difference in the world, in my opinion. Board mm -hmm. observer for those listening. Mm -hmm. um, that, that that is correct. Yeah, and I think you also, I mean, just I, you also had wanted to talk about sort of what happens to people when they come home. Um, Yes. Can you elaborate a little more on sort of that aspect of why yeah. that also makes you anti-war? So the, the system itself is designed to perpetuate the system itself, right? If that makes sense. And the system will use whatever means necessary to perpetuate itself. And that will always be its focus. Those that it destroys in, in pursuit of those ends are irrelevant to the system. Okay, so if you do join the army and you go and you lose an arm or a leg, I, mean, I have a brother-in-law who lost both legs all the way up to the hip, so he can't even get prosthetics. And sure, they pay him money every every month. And uh, when the VA started, here, here's a story that probably no one's heard because I don't know if he's very vocal about this. I won't I won't use his name, but the VA a few years ago went through a review of disability claims to make sure they weren't giving money away to people who didn't need it by their standards. And uh, my brother-in-law's wife, who is my wife's sister, uh, she was a caretaker. The VA will pay caretakers for severely disabled vets. They they did a review on him to make sure that, you know, he still deserved a 100% disability rating. And they did a review on her to make sure she still deserved the caretaker status to get paid to be his caretaker because she has to do so much for him. The people that called weren't like, oh, yeah, I, I'm looking at his paperwork. Yeah. They're like, no, we need to come visit. We need, to, we need to inspect this and make sure. Like, no, you don't. He doesn't have legs. He, he 
he needs money for the wheelchairs. He needs the special modifications to his vehicle so he can still drive himself around with some dignity. You know, she handles, you know, he can't work really because it was not just his legs. He lost a couple of fingers and he's pretty scarred up. But they don't care, right? Instead of cutting the budget on the new F-35 program and making sure that money goes to the people that they've already grinded up in the war machine, they will continue to pay all these companies to develop their hardware for them and start making cuts on everything that they promised people they would give them if they went and did this job, right? The system does not care about the people that it grinds up in perpetuation of its own existence. That is why I'm anti-war. No one is coming to help you when you sacrifice everything. They, They will hand your wife a flag when you die. They will pay out your SGLI. And they will ring their, they'll wipe their hands and say, "All right, our job is done here." And then you're you're left to pick up the pieces, you know. And and heaven forbid you come home truly disabled, right? Yeah, sure. They're just going to throw money at you until it's no longer convenient, and they're going to figure out a way to take that money back. That it, there's nothing that they're going to do to help you, but they will use you. They will use you. They will take your youth, your sanity, and your health and say here's a certificate for a job well done and they will send you on your way that is the system that when you join the army or the military that you perpetuate yeah i mean i I think we almost we i think that that says it all you know and and they'll they might even you know put your name on something or or use your example as a reason for as something for others to follow if it you know what i mean Yes. Uh, 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 you know, yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, the, speaking of the Marines, right? Smedley Butler is a beloved figure within the Marines. Mm-hmm. But if you start looking into his history, right? He yeah. he was very anti-war. Yeah. But no one, you're not allowed to talk about that. No, you yeah, know, I if mean. You, if, if you say, go read War is a Racket, you know, or what was the book he wrote? Was that what it was titled? Yeah, war is a Racket, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, no, like, the Marines are like, "What? What are you talking about?" No, he, he was just a really decorated Marine. Yeah, yeah, well, he came back and realized that if you listen to his his speeches, thankfully, you know, there's some on audio. Uh, he says everything we're saying now, nothing has changed. Yeah, you know, uh, this is just a hobby horse of mine, but it's one of those things they they drew. You know, it's boot camp. We call them ditties in Marine Corps boot camp, but it's just, um, or at least back when I was. In boot, you know, when I went in, that's what they called them. These things you just have to memorize. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Your drill instructor. Basically, it was all the questions on the test. By the way, yeah, don't worry about the academics in Marine Corps boot camp. The expectation is you get a hundred because the entire time you're there, they're saying two medals of honor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you spout back Smedley Butler and Dan Daly. You know, um, just reflexively because those are the answers on the test. You know, um, but that's all you learn and you're right like they the thing that always drove me crazy with the marine corps is um there was all this there was a lot of emphasis on tradition but mm-hmm. never any on comprehending the rationale for the tradition 100% correct and like the the quintessential example to me and these went away 
I came in as they were being phased out. I didn't, I like a total tool bag boot bought, I, I got my hands on a pair of black boots. I was not issued black boots and I wear them. Mm -hmm. I wore them to try to look a little saltier. Like I had been around a little bit longer. <laughs> I wore them for one drill weekend and, uh, you know, some NCO looked at me and was like, take those fucking things off. You know what I mean? You mm -hmm. didn't like, like put your, put the boots you were issued back on, whatever you, you look like an idiot. You don't, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but even then I was, you know, you would see these guys that had boots that looked amazing. Right. For a drill weekend, at least, because they would use floor pop floor wax on them. Right. Right. Oh, okay. I, I remember those days. Yeah. Yeah. And and but and they would spend all this time shining them. It was only later when I like I was in Afghanistan and people had these suede boots that we wore, you know, and the suede boots were dry rotting and falling off of their feet because mm -hmm. none of these Marines ever spent any time putting any mink oil on them mm -hmm. or caring for their suede boots. They didn't think the boots needed to be cared for. And right. they, because these new boots don't need to be shined. Therefore, they don't need any love or attention or care at all. It's like, no, it's still leather. It, you right. know what I mean? Um, they don't, they didn't reckon you'd have Marines everywhere with these boots that were falling apart. And I would be like, throw some of this on them. You know what I mean? And, and they would have no idea why I would be saying that. It's like, if you've ever been hiking or have a pair of boots you actually care about, you, you oil them up every now and then. You take, you clean them off. You get, you know what I mean? You, you, you make sure they don't dry rot or they don't get mold, you know, wa you waterproof them. You know, I yeah. have a nice pair of leather boots that I waterproof every winter and before I go hiking, you know, granted there's modern materials you don't need to do that for or whatever, but it's part of taking care of them. And what I realized in that moment, when I was seeing all these Marines around me with their clothes falling apart around them in like 2009 Afghanistan was Nobody ever was taught that at this it became traditional for a while, probably decades ago, when boots were when leather boots were first issued. Boot polishing was not probably the goal. It was boot maintenance. And right. then it became highly regarded. The Marine the Marines or whoever who shined their boots the most was taking the best care of them. And that was looked upon as right. like a soldier taking care of his equipment. You know what I mean? Exactly. And then people started taking shortcuts or not realizing that the purpose wasn't, it was never, it was never ever about making them look pretty. That was a byproduct, you know? Yes. So then people just started skipping to trying to make their boots look pretty and, and forgot that they were supposed to be actually caring for them. You know? It's Chesterton's and, fence. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what a, a good friend of mine brought. Like the first time I ever heard that phrase was a Marine friend of mine who, who said the same thing. It's you've forgotten where this tradition came from entirely. And, and you're just going through the motions of it and actually doing it the whole principle, underlying principle of disservice. And the same is true. Like, you know, when, when Smedley Butler is held up, he upheld a lot of great principles, but those are forgotten. You know, the the mm -hmm. shiny metals he got are the only thing that matters. Right, you know? exactly. You're only supposed. It's all, it's all about the bling. Remember about him is that he got two medals of honor. You know, that's it. That, did your do your boots shine? Do you have two medals of honor? You know what I mean. Not why did he get those? What did he do? What kind but, of because you you have to you know? glorify the reason for your existence, right? I yeah. mean, I could say the same thing about Audie Murphy in the army. Yeah. That's Audie Murphy's the man, right? Mm -hmm. Don't you dare besmirch that man's name mm -hmm. in front of another NCO. But there's plenty to be smirch about him 
and he probably wasn't the upstanding human being that everybody claims he was yeah but when you go to the audie murphy board which is this club that they have created to you know have a reason to perpetuate the myth of audie murphy you have to memorize his bio and don't you dare read a book not written that's not authorized about audie murphy mm -hmm. right you know yeah because he I, had some demons right yeah absolutely um yeah. And the same thing with Chris Kyle, uh, you know, and he's of our generation. You know, there was once a reporter that tried to dig into the archives to make sure that all of the medals on Chris Kyle's uh, DD-214 were accurate, right? And then he wrote a big long piece about how all the awards he claims that he has gotten, this is after his death, by the way, uh, were, were not in the Hall of Archives. And so there's no way to, to say that for sure he had them, right? Now, at the time, I was like, how fucking dare you? How fucking dare you, right? Mm -hmm. He's, but now I understand why that is necessary for people to do that. Yeah. You know, and now he probably did have all those medals. And as we know, there are things that that group, that community does that don't always get published and sent into a hall of records. But the, the point is, there's nothing, you need to question your heroes, right? If you don't, then you don't understand why they exist in the first place. And mm -hmm. that's the important part. And why they exist is to create a legend to parade out in front of other people to say, you could be that guy someday. You could be part of the group that that guy was a part of. You can do all the great things that this guy did without talking about what those things are, right? Or why they were done. You know, it, it, and it all leads back to the bigger picture. If you start questioning, you know, you start pulling at that thread. Nobody wants you to pull at that thread. Mm -hmm. And that's that's, again, what the whole system is trying to avoid is pulling at the threads and, and watching the sweater fall apart. And using both of those. And I think we're going to, you know, I'll let you finish after I tee up for this one. Um, but using like Chris Kyle or Audie Murphy's examples, I mean, I don't know all the details of both of them after their time in but both of, i know both of them had a hard time of it it wasn't right. exactly an easy life even they'll be elevated to this level of hero and yes <laughs> you know it is it is true that a lot of people you know talking about how things you know combat can be ennobling i think it could still be a real process even if you did incredible things even if even if you mm -hmm. were completely in the right that your cause was mm -hmm. just that you took people's lives that you know for good to come whatever you know what i mean it could still be a hard process to to get to a state of mental health from there even if, if you're a good person it, it will right. be yeah um but and for those two whether the question whether or not the cause was just or whatnot they, they, they still they're going to elevate them they're not to be questions and not don't look into the hard time they had afterwards that's not really the thing that's up for discussion about Audie Murphy. Correct. You know what I mean? It's everything Correct. that led him to becoming heroized and nothing after. Correct. You know? um, right. Because why would you want to be a hero and do those things if you're going to have to deal with the consequences later on? Right. That that makes it real. It's no longer a legend anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what the reality is, if you make them more human on some level and say, yeah, they, they, they did these things. If, you know, maybe people would be better prepared, better mentally prepared to do some of these things that they knew going in, look, it's going to be tough on you afterwards, but we need you to do this anyways. You know, right. God knows, God knows people will, will do things that requires that, that will put them, 
will put themselves through real agony just for, I mean, think about people that, I don't know, run marathons or whatever, or athletes that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll sacrifice their, people will willingly sacrifice their bodies to get, you know, shiny pieces of metal already. And and knowing that it's going to be sacrificial, Mm -hmm. you know? So you don't have to hide the fact that, yeah, this, it, we're, we're going to ask some men to do some really terrible things, you know? Right. And we're hey, Well, you that. need people to do that. Yeah. You know, but, nobody wants to be a garbage man, but someone's got to take the garbage, right? But if they don't know it's going to be terrible for them in the going in. Correct. Then correct. they're it, not going to be consent. able, you know? It's, it's, it's informed it, consent. Yeah. And it's also, you have to justify why you were sending them to do that thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you can't justify it uh on a realistic basis and then your only other option is to glorify the action itself and not why you're doing it and action. hide it yeah and hide and right. hide exactly. the, the the consequences right and that you know no no one talks about the why and again going back to your boot analogy no no one explains the why right you just do it now mm-hmm. eventually people say well why in the hell am i doing this now that's a good idea or that's a good question why are we doing this well let's stop doing that all right, now you're tearing the fence down without realizing what was behind it. You know, that, and that is the idea of Chester's, Chesterton's fence. And you know, you should, you know, even someone like me who is who has gone way in the other direction on, on the, the collective ideals that seem to be keeping a lot of people together. You know, there are still things I understand that you don't want to tear them down immediately. You know, maybe even there's an order of events. You know, maybe you can tear that fence down eventually, but first you got to do these other things first, and then you can tear down that fence. But you cannot make that decision unless you know why the fence and all the gates were put there in the first place. And no one is explaining to people why those things exist. They're just glorifying their existence to perpetuate the existence of those gates, yep. you know, of those things. And that's 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 the system. That's the system we live in, the, the, the total warfare, the century of total warfare, you know, and who would want to keep doing that? You know, I, I'm I'm no fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene, but she came out one time and said, why would America send their sons and daughters to fight in this military? And I was like, thank you for finally saying it. Thank you for being the person that said that, you know, you maybe you're a horrible human being, but that needed to be said because it got news when she said it. Yeah, and it, it made a bunch of people defend the warfare state, and I think that was very telling. Absolutely. Well, um, I do have to get rolling here. I'm sorry to say, um, but I really appreciate you taking the time. If you have any other thoughts, you know, please feel free to send them my way. Um, is there anything you'd like to wrap up with? Um, to the fathers, yeah, definitely give mothers your plug. Out. Ooh, sorry, and give your plugs too. Also, sorry. Okay. Need to cut you off. Uh, real quick, to, to the fathers and mothers out there who may be listening to this, or to someone who's thinking about joining the military, you need to think about more than what the recruiter is telling you as far as you know your benefits package. Because that benefits package is irrelevant if you cannot live a good, decent life. And they will take everything away from you in order just to give you that 30 days of leave, that paycheck, and that you know possibility of a you know the VA taking care of you when you get out, right? Think long and hard about the whys and not just the what's. That is important. And understand that the system you are serving does not care about you. It cares about itself. And the people who run the system are going to enrich themselves on your pain. 
that's great. Uh, oh, it's, and as far as my plugging myself, I, I write a blog on minds.com slash redlegger. Uh, I've got some interesting stories in there and just some, I throw my thoughts against the wall sometimes and see what sticks. Uh, so feel free to check that out. Great. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, have a great Sunday and I'll be, you know, we'll be putting this out next weekend probably. All right, man. Good talking with you. Thank you very Thanks. much. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You Peace. too. Thanks for listening to Why I'm Anti-War. Please use the hashtag Why I'm Anti-War. Follow me on Twitter at Anti-War Podcast. Email me, antiwarpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on the show, I'll welcome anyone from any background. And please find the show notes page where you'll find, take a look at the show notes page where you'll find uh, links to Red Laker's blog as well as his Twitter account. Peace.